Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. One thing that we have come to understand through all this is that we are in a messy process. We are, as a tribe, learning how to deal with uncertainty and chaos. It's all around us right now. And my sense is that we're also learning how to develop our inner knowing or our connection to the divine light. For some, this will be through church and the light of the Christ. For others, it will be a Gnostic path with goddess motifs in the natural world. For still others, it may be an Eastern wisdom tradition or a plant medicine of one kind or another to help accelerate this inner knowing. All roads lead to the mountaintop, as the mystics would say. This process is always messy. It's never neat and tidy. As we deal with our repression, denial, trauma, and amnesia, many of us are working our way out of a kind of numbness that we have used to try to insulate us from the pain of separation and trauma. Others are working through the fog of disinformation that acts like a pollution in our minds, making it difficult to see the truth or the divine light or to know which way is up and out of this mess. How do we meet one another where we are, quote unquote, knowing that where you are and where I am might be quite different? How do we get our arms around everyone we care about, which is the whole tribe that is in our care? It is my belief and my vision that we are entering a whole new chapter of our collective hero's journey. We will leave cynicism and disbelief and habitually dark patterning behind us. We are all, you and I, learning to hold the light for one another. For when one of us slips, another stops to help them up. This is our alchemy and our work. We are all in this together, working to elevate one another. So hang in there, my friend. We're almost to the next chapter of our story. Because of the nature of our conversation today, my guest wants to be able to speak freely and remain somewhat anonymous, so we'll use only his first name. Ben is a friend, a software developer, and a spiritual warrior. He leads men's groups in a Brazilian church that uses ayahuasca or plant medicine as their sacrament, something we talk about in today's episode. Here is my interview with my good friend, Ben. Okay, I am here with my friend, Ben, mystic, teacher, explorer, Ben. Ben, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, Tony. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we're talking about all kinds of stuff uh, in this episode, personal development, men's wisdom circles, um, dimey even. Um, But I wanted to start off, uh, when I first met you, you told a funny story about the Wild West days of the internet during the the boom uh, of the internet and how you and your friends were sort of uh, sitting around going, there's got to be ways to make money off of this. Uh, let's put our heads together and see what we can come up with. And I'll let you take it from there. I just always thought that it was a really funny story. I don't, I don't hear stories like that every day. And then kind of also like what happened afterwards, after you guys figured out how to make money, uh, you know, what happened to it? Did you guys, did you roll it into more? Did you blow it? What, what happened? So I guess I'll, I'll let you take it from there. These are the wild west days. And, uh, was it just you and like a few friends sitting around trying to figure it out or how did that unfold? Yeah. So in 2006, um, I was uh, I was a software developer, and I was really hoping to get out of the rat race and kind of um, you know not have to live a life of toil. Yeah. And so uh, I was always poking around, looking for opportunities, looking for ways to kind of work the system. And I ended up uh, meeting 
this guy who uh, became a really good friend of mine, and he had the exact same orientation. And in fact, he had another friend uh, who he worked with a lot, and they just kind of like were always trying new things. And when I got to know them, they invited me to join them in this little trio of, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, rebels, I guess. And uh, yeah, we just started poking around and we were trying different things. We learned about something called domain parking, where you could buy a domain name and you could uh, point it to a service and they would provide all the content, which was, of course, all just ads. Yep. And uh, and so at first we tried to buy domain names and see if we could just get people to go to those domain names, uh, domains one way or another. And um, eventually we were sitting around trying to figure out ways to you know, come up with uh, links or whatever. And we thought, hey, what if we just advertised our domains? And then when people went there, there would just be more ads there. So they would click our ads. And we thought that that's crazy, right? Because, you know, you're paying people to come and do the same thing that you just paid them to do. Um, and every, everybody else is going to be trying to take a cut. The, the advertising providers are taking their cut. So there's no way this could work. Yeah. But the the secret was that the the domain for parking companies, um, the ads that they provided were like these premier ads from Yahoo. Yahoo had this um, kind of premier ad feed that mm-hmm. they gave to their favored customers. And these domain parking companies had so many domains uh, and they did a good job of filtering traffic that Yahoo gave really good prices for people clicking on the ads on those sites. Yeah. And, uh, and Google, on the other hand, was just this open market where anybody could buy domain, buy ads based on keywords and just whatever the market would bear was what you had to pay. And we discovered, um, through trial and error that there was an inefficiency in that market. And the first day we tried it, we were like, Hey, let's just put a buck in. So we bought a domain. Our first domain was actually one of our most successful ever. It was about, uh, anxiety and depression. I think it was called anxietycoping.com or something. Okay. And, uh, we, you know, we set it up on this parking service and it was full of all these links to doctors and whatever. And, uh, and we went to Google and we spent a dollar on ads for, for the keywords, anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And the next day we, we looked at the numbers and we had made $2 for our $1 investment. Oh yeah. And we thought, huh, that's pretty <laughs> weird. I wonder if it's a fluke. Let's put in $2. And sure enough, we made $4 back. And that's, that was right around the beginning of December in 2006. And, and by the end of December in 2006, we were borrowing money from everybody we knew. Uh, we were offering 10% a month return for people oh to lend God. us money so we could just plow it into this thing as fast as we could. Cause basically every day we were just able to double our money. Oh. And, it was pretty absurd. You know, we, it was a wild ride. We, we rode that thing for a good year and a half. Um, Google kind of half-heartedly tried to shut us down a few times and we just kind of figured out how to work around them. Yeah. And eventually, uh, you know, the rest of the world caught on. We, we were kind of towards the beginning of the wave, but it got to be a pretty big wave. It got to the point where you'd go to Google and maybe two thirds to three quarters of the ads that they showed would just take you to these dumb park domains. Yeah. And, uh, and Google was losing all their money and, you know, Google doesn't like to lose their money. So they they shut us down. Well, and then, and then, so you made a whole bunch of money. What did you do with the money that you made? Did you put in the stock market? Did you buy houses? Like what, what was your plan? Uh, this part I kind of thought was funny too, because it's, you were unaccustomed to a lot of money, right? (laughs) And so like, you know, what was, what was your plan and then how did, what happened you know, did you were you able to keep the money that you made? Was it did it fall through your fingers? Like what what was the plan? Did your did your buddies end up doing better with what they ended up with? Or, you know, how did that unfold? 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it, it's pretty impossible to make that much money that fast and keep your head, you know, yeah. especially yep. if it's never happened before. Yep. The first time it happens to you, you're just, it's bonkers. You know, you're getting these paychecks that are more than you would have made in a year uh, and you're getting it every two weeks. And it's like, what am I supposed to do with all this money? You know, and yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing I'm going to go do is buy a new car for cash. And the next thing I'm going to do is, you know, just go on Amazon and buy whatever I want at any time and any yep. place. Yep. And, um, yeah, so we spent a year kind of losing our heads a little bit. Not nothing too extreme. We didn't dive into heavy cocaine use or anything like right, that. Right, right, right. But we definitely, you know, we took trips and we um bought cars and and eventually, you know, we sort of said, "Hey, like we should we should invest some of this money." And of course, this was in 2007 was when we made the bulk of our money mm-hmm. and you know what better place to put all that money than in the incredibly inflated real estate market right right so my wife and I at the time ended up buying a whole bunch of properties that we were basically underwater on knowing we were underwater on them uh in terms of the rent covering the mortgage payment yeah uh because it had so much cash flow it was like who cares you know we'll just let the equity build up and we'll make up the difference and it's all yep. good yeah. And so for the first six months, you know, we, we bought a few properties and it was great. It was fun. And who cares if we were writing $10,000 checks each month to keep the property solvent, you know, it, it didn't matter. Right. Right. Um, and then, then we woke up that one fateful day in March of 2008 and Google had basically just pulled the plug like overnight. Our entire system just was shut down uh. and it was like, uh Oh, and, and we did all the things we knew how to do to try to bring it back up and, no, no luck. And all of a sudden, you know, meanwhile, the IRS is coming for their cut. Yeah. And, uh, one thing led to another. And by, by 2000, I think it was 2009, uh, that we started our bankruptcy filing <laughs> because yeah. we just ended up losing everything. You know, we got foreclosed on all those properties cause we just couldn't keep the, the cash flow going. And, um, the equity, had instead of building up had kind of fallen. Cause in 2008 there was that big crash. And so, Absolutely. uh, we were just totally, you know, ruined <laughs> and, um, yeah. And it was, it was a really interesting experience. You know, uh, I, I had thought that I was out. I thought I made it. I won the game. Yep. I was like on top of the world and, uh, and it wasn't, you know, it was all an illusion cause I didn't really play my cards right. And I kind of lost my head and, and, and honestly, you know, of course, I think back and I have things I could have done differently and uh, ways that I could have maybe preserved some of that windfall and, and set myself up for a, an easier life. But ultimately, I had a great time. It was super fun. Uh, I was with these two guys who became my just dear friends. Uh, my wife and I had a great time. We took some beautiful trips together. Uh, we had a baby in that period. And you must have learned so much during that. I mean, just, I learned a ton. You, know, you know, it's not always like, you know, I won the lottery, you know, every two weeks and I sailed off into the sunset on my sailboat. It's like you had the up, down, the good, bad, ugly. The learning curve must have been amazing. You know, such an accelerated, you know, you, you all of a sudden you were very wealthy by anybody's standards. Uh, and then just that it, it got, you know, the the bottom came out of it, but you must've learned so much through the whole thing about, about your values, about what was important to you. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit. I know that you've been really into personal development. I know that because you and I have been in men's circles together. Um, and I wanted to ask you, was, was personal development, was that something that was always kind of a path of yours? Did that come, 
you know, after this episode more, uh, as you started to pursue maybe more of a soulful path or was that something that you got interested in when you were young? Did you find yourself reading books on wisdom, uh, traditions, or, you know, did, did you gravitate towards that? Or were you kind of a techie? And then after the crash that we just spoke of, you started to get more introspective and started to gravitate towards, you know, personal development stuff. Yeah. You know, it was they, the, the two parts of my life were, were, uh, very, related, very intertwined in a way. Um, I grew up an atheist. I grew up like a very strong atheist, like mm-hmm. totally judgmental, super attached to my atheism, yeah. you know, basically religious about my atheism and, um, always clung to that. And I, I went through this whole wealth cycle with this, you know, our advertising arbitrage thing that we were doing. And that whole time I, I had no space for spirituality at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all through blowing all the money and like, you know, not being as charitable as I could have been with parts of it. And, um, and also just not having that spiritual grounding in the experience. Um, the whole time that I was making all that money, there was like kind of an emptiness behind it all that, you know, in the rush of things was pretty well masked. I didn't really have to spend a lot of time feeling miserable. I didn't have time to, to do that, to get that far before the money disappeared on me. Yeah. But when it did disappear on me and um, I kind of hit the wall and I realized I was really unhappy, I was still clinging to my atheism as like, well, at least I still have that, you know, in my, in my consciousness, it was like still a a certainty, even in all the world of uncertainty that I was living in. Mm -hmm. And I was deeply unhappy and, and I, I was having a hard time even admitting that. And one of my partners ended up uh, hearing from one of his friends about this crazy church from Brazil that uses a medicine from the rainforest um, as part of their ceremonies. And he, he was going to go and he told me about it. And I, I had, uh, you know, a huge amount of judgment come up. I was like making fun of him on the phone and um, sort of just like shaking my head. And in the very back of my head, there was like this little 1% of my consciousness that was like, Hey, by the way, you're going too." Wow. And, uh, I, you know, I tried to ignore it for a couple of months. I was like, that's crazy. You know, like, why would anybody do that? Especially me. I'm not Christian. I'm not religious. Um, and then I heard from my friend about his experience. It was totally deep and beautiful and, and transformative mm-hmm. for him. And I just gave up the resistance that that little part of myself won. And I still think of it as kind of some of the clearest guidance I've ever gotten in my life. Like just the the clarity of that voice in my consciousness was so pure and it, it just totally overcame all of my traumatic, you know, obsessive, compulsive, like whatever, all the neuroses in my mind that were holding me in this place of unhappiness and, mm. and certainty, you know? Um, and so I, I received this beautiful guidance and I, I ended up saying yes. It took me a few more months to kind of logistically to work it all out to be able to go, but I, f- I finally went and I had a really, you know, a very interesting experience. I went and the first time I took the medicine and sat in the, in the ceremony, um, I didn't feel it at all. I had never taken a psychedelic before and I didn't know really what to expect. But what I experienced was just sort of sitting there feeling kind of bored and depressed and, and sad that it wasn't working. And I came back home from that experience and, and, uh, just totally disappointed, totally kind of crushed really. Sure. Um, 
that I hadn't gotten what I was expecting to get. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and about three days went by and, and I just put it out of my mind. I, I stopped thinking about it cause it was just, you know, it was an episode that hadn't big, big letdown, right? Yeah. yeah it was a big letdown. I didn't yeah. get anything positive. So why think yep. about it? Yep. I certainly wasn't going to go back. And, uh, three or four days later, I'm driving down the road and, uh, and again, I got this, this clear message. I need to pull over right now. Hmm. And I mean, I'm on the highway, so I pull over, I'm like on the shoulder of the highway, like my hazards, you know, I flick my hazards on, but I don't even know if I put it in my car into park. I like, think I was still just like, I didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I got this huge download and like this crazy understanding started to like, just kind of be born into my, into my mind. And, um, it was something I've never experienced before. Uh, it was, I think of it now as more of like the destructive phase than the constructive phase. What I really was, was experiencing was just a dissolving of all that certainty Mm -hmm. and a recognition of the role that that was playing in my unhappiness. Yes. And so, and, and along with that came the, the, both the deep pain and the sweet relief of just being able to admit to myself how unhappy I was Yeah, and just being able to let go of the need to pretend that I was happy when I wasn't. So it went right to the core, like the core oh, wound and, yeah. and I offered you kind of a salvation of, and a pathway out of that kind of misery and suffering, right? Would be one way of saying it. Absolutely. I mean, it, it wasn't clearly a path at that point. It was more yeah. like just like destruction of all of the things that I was holding so tightly. It felt like dissolution and, and kind of these tectonic like shifts, like the, the plates of my, my soul were shifting. And I, I was crying and I was laughing and I, I don't know how much time went by. I was sitting there with my foot on the brake on the side of the highway yeah. and, uh, and I kind of came out of it and I was so confused. I, I didn't know what had happened. And, uh, I drove home and, and I made it home. And then my wife came home and I, I told her about it. And she said, Hey, you know, you, you did go to that thing a couple of days ago. Like, <laughs> you think it's related? And I was like, I hadn't even made that connection. I You're like, think- wait a moment. You might be <laughs> on to something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty thick headed sometimes. You know? uh, so I called up, uh, the person that I was in contact with it, with the church. And, and I said, yeah, I think I need to go to another one after all. Yeah. And from there, it just all unfolded in the most beautiful way. Um, and within three to three to six months, I guess, uh, I was starting to think of myself as agnostic rather than an atheistic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, that was 12 years ago. I still don't really know what I am. It's a, it's a Christian practice, but mm. it's also a mystical practice. It's a Gnostic practice. It involves yep. consciousness you know, expansion and taking this medicine from the rainforest that, you know, really has a, quite an impact and it really meets you where you are. So you don't, it doesn't ask you to name your beliefs a certain way. It doesn't ask you to have any certainty about anything, Yeah, which is even, even though I was so dogmatically atheistic when I was younger, one of my biggest judgments about religion was like, how do you know, how can you be so certain about anything? And I still feel that way. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. You know, what's funny is I've known you for uh, many, many years, and I didn't really remember that you were so entrenched in atheism. Like I would never, if somebody was to describe you, I would not describe your hero's journey as be, that being part of it. Clearly it was, because I think of you as so 
somebody who's got so much soul and so much so connected to his inner knowing and the divine in all of the ways that that shows up for you that atheism it's doesn't even show up on the radar when i think of you but that was a really big uh philosophical uh silo that you had to you know work your way out of sort of using the plant medicine it sounds like too so um yeah yeah yeah, I mostly just had to get out of my own damn way, right? Yeah, you know, the, yeah. The medicine is a strong teacher, and it helped me make up a lot of ground really quickly. And so did the community around it. This The church is a beautiful community full of people who are all doing their best to um, – to, to transform and heal. And when you're around other people who are so focused on that and you make the conscious decision yourself to, to focus on that, uh, you can, you can make up a lot of ground quickly. Of course, there's a lot of danger there. You can, you can feel like you're making up more ground than you are. Uh, there's all kinds of spiritual bypass that can come in. There's pink cloud left and right. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's ego likes to latch onto things and say, Hey, you're doing great. You know, you don't have to heal all this trauma, you know, you can just, sure. you can just breathe, man. Yeah. And, uh, just watch the, watch the light show after you take the medicine. How, how often does your church do the medicine ceremony? Is that something that you do all, every weekend or every other weekend? What's the rhythm of that typically? Yeah. You know, we always, we always say that you should just only come when you feel called and that, mm-hmm. that ultimately everybody works at their own pace and there's, you just go through different phases, um, so there's not like a recommendation. One of the core sayings of our church is that everyone is welcome and no one is invited. Mm. So we never tell someone you should come. We never say, yeah. Hey, are you, are you going to be there? You know, I hope so. They're yeah. going to be there if, if they're supposed to be there. I, I had, I did an interview with a, a young man over in Sweden and he also was involved in ayahuasca plant medicine rituals and stuff. And I know another gentleman here in Seattle that runs churches um, using the Brazilian tradition and they do it like you do. They, I think it's almost every weekend they have something. Um, and the guy in, in Sweden, he said, no, I really don't like I don't want to do it all the time. I don't want to do it on a regular basis. I don't think it would be good for me. Um, when I, the two or three times I've done it, I've had the plant gave me instructions for my path and what I'm supposed to do. And I feel like it would be, it would be dishonorable to do, to try to grab more information around that. Like I have a bunch of work to do to fulfill on the vision of the last one I did. And so I was like, Oh, okay. It really is up to the individual to sort of dance with the messages. Um, it's not a one size fits all. And that was the first time I'd heard somebody say it that way because my only experience was talking to you and then this other gentleman in Seattle and you guys kind of have the same rhythm. And here was somebody who, um, spoke really highly of it. It was a really big part of his life. And he's like, no, I, I really choose to just do it very sparingly only at really big junctions when I feel like I need more information. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's a different way that, than I've heard done. I don't know if that's people in your community kind of take that approach too, or, uh, just depends. It really depends. You know, it's so interesting. It's like in my, in in our, in my church, Mm -hmm. um, we consider the medicine itself to be like a divine being, right? That you're basically taking into your body. It's, it's basically an embodiment of the Christ consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to believe in Jesus to take it. It doesn't mean anything, Mm -hmm. but what, what it leads me to, to understand is that 
when someone takes it and they commune with the divine teacher that mm-hmm. is that consciousness, that medicine, um, they receive exactly what the divine knows that they're ready for. Mm-hmm. Whether whether they know it or not, they may think that they're ready for more. They think they may they may think they're ready for less. And so sometimes the work can be underwhelming, and sometimes the work can be overwhelming, mm-hmm. and. Sometimes it hits you right where you expected or where you were asking for, and you just don't know. And it also speaks to you in whatever language and at whatever scale your consciousness is ready for it. And so some people take it and receive a massive life-changing pieces of information in one session yep. that they can take away and work on for six months or a year and never have to come back because mm-hmm. – you know, it's like Mother Teresa, right? Like, what I don't remember exactly her the quote, but she basically said she 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 talked to God once. She was once she spent time with God in the light, and the rest of her life she was working in the dark. Mm-hmm. She never got that clear transmission again, just once at the beginning of her work. Hmm. And after that, you're just operating on faith. Yeah. And so, you know. Other people, myself, you know, I don't really get huge downloads like that very often from the medicine. I more get an opportunity to have my emotional system opened, my heart be more accessible, and then for me to just ponder my life and think about my relationships and my behaviors, my addictions, my habits, all of the things that are, uh, compose my being from a different place that's more heart centered. And so I can take the medicine and I'm not necessarily having to transform my whole life, but I do have to transform my whole self. And so that's, that's really different, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean I have to do some big change of circumstance. What it really means for me is that I have to just change the way I'm interfacing with all my circumstances. That's great. And so I, I can take, I, I've spent long periods of my life, uh, taking the medicine, anywhere from every one to two to three weeks, mm-hmm. you know, probably average of twice a month for, for many years, yep. uh, with, with the lockdown and the quarantine and everything, we've had to really slow down. And so I've been uh, the last year and a half has been almost nothing, mm-hmm. uh, which has been mm-hmm. hard for me. Yeah. Uh, Cause I really rely on that regular influx of information and perspective. Absolutely. Well, you, yeah. and, you, you and I have sat in on a number of men's groups, men's wisdom circles over the years. What, what did you get out of, out of those, out of being in, in a circle with, with men specifically? What did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about men? Oh, man, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because I'm just starting a new circle uh, that's, that's working with men and also working with medicine. That's great. And um, and I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the the medicine is such a strong teacher. What's my job in this circle? I'm leading the circle. I put it together. Uh, people are looking to me for guidance in some ways. And for me, like, I want to just like sort of humbly say, hey, like the medicine's really the teacher here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I, the, the circles that I've been in with you, Tony, we didn't have any medicine work particularly. I was still working with medicine in my own way, but most of the men in the group were not. And, um, and it wasn't a focus of the group and I got a ton out of those groups. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how can we bring those two things together? And so I've been thinking a lot about that. Mm -hmm. And one of the core things that I think goes unsaid in our culture is the incredible amount of oppression that men suffer. Mm -hmm. And 
the forms that that oppression takes lead us to not be willing to seek help and not be willing to seek community and, and to feel alone. And that's one of the big pieces of oppression for men is that you have to do it alone. Yep. And so many men internalize that so strongly, myself included, Absolutely. that we stop thinking that anybody else is having the same experience as us. We stop thinking that there's any help to be had from having other people witness our experience mm -hmm. and being witnessed and feeling like you're the same as the people around you are absolutely key components to being happy and fulfilled and satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. And so coming to a men's circle and just being witnessed and seeing that all men are living the same stories, you know, every man I know and myself, as much as anyone hates being a cliche. Yep. Right. Because yep. in our culture, we're supposed to be so unique. We're supposed to be so special mm -hmm. and our value is derived from like how much better than everybody else we are. Mm -hmm. And that is just ultimately such a futile way to try to seek value in yourself, to, to be seen, to be understood. Right. So instead of seeking solace in how we are the same, we're all trying to be different than everybody else. And we hate being a cliche. So even if somebody else is offering us something that directly reflects our own experience, we, we try to find the ways in which it's different. And all that happens so instinctively, so like knee-jerk reactively, it's just really hard to track it when you're by yourself, you know, and you're doing it by yourself or when you're in therapy and you're talking to your therapist. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you and I had lunch recently and to, to, to your point, we were both kind of saying how we were struggling with things during the lockdown, yet we, we had gone like a year and a half without checking in with one another, which that's not walking the talk in men's work, right? Like it, it, I'm still seeing the shadow of how I don't want to come over and talk to you and share with you when I'm getting my butt kicked emotionally by things, right? There's a tendency that I still want to kind of curl up in a ball um, and, and just kind of self-soothe until I can figure things out. Um, but in the men's circles, one of the things we do is, is we talk about being authentic and sharing your pain, sharing your wounds, sharing when you do feel weak and that there's empowerment in that. The challenge is keeping that going when, you know, when circumstances change. I don't have a men's group right now that I'm leading or participating in. And I can notice, uh, I can notice there's a there's a tendency to kind of isolate and to not share amongst. I mean, I would tell you anything. You've heard everything about me. So why why wouldn't I reach out to you as my friend and say, God, I'm really struggling with this, um, and just get your support? But there's that old part of me that's still kind of protecting my ego, or you know, I just I don't want to be vulnerable. Or I don't want to bother Ben or some other friend that I really trust. So it still operates, even when you're doing this, this valuable work in men's circles, you still have to deal with the shadow that sometimes, you know what, I, I, I don't want to show myself all the time, right? Yeah. And, and even people like you and me, we have mm -hmm. a lot of experience leading works, leading groups. Um, you more than me, you've been doing men's work longer than I have by a long shot. And we're still, we're still having to fight that shadow. And, and yep. I think ultimately, you know, like, when people talk about the pandemic and they talk about, you know, everybody understands on some sort of intellectual level that it's traumatic, right? Yep. Everybody knows that it's traumatic, that we have to be locked down and quarantined, mm -hmm. but nobody really, I don't think I personally, it's taken me a long time. It's taken me a long time to understand like what that really means, like traumatic how. Yep. And I think 
I think that, that that part of this isolation that we've had to face is is re-stimulating all of that trauma of a of us being in a culture, having grown up in a culture where mm-hmm. we're supposed to be alone, where yep. we're supposed to be able to be self-sufficient. It's like, oh, okay, here you go. You have a situation where you have to be alone. So now yeah. you have to be okay. Right, you have right. You be okay even though you're alone. And you're not. You're not okay. You're not okay alone. And yet, to reach out is to admit that you're not okay. And now not only do you have to overcome the oppression of, of our of our culture that says you shouldn't do that, but you also have to overcome the fact that like we're not even supposed to be in the same room together because we could die, we could kill each other, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well so, it, it also it doesn't it doesn't take into consideration too that I am deeply moved and affected by how the collective is doing and the collective is not doing well with this right and it impacts me even if even if i'm strong in my faith or i'm strong in my spiritual life and i can you know man up or whatever you want to say about like being strong during an isolating pandemic my tribe my larger tribe of humanity is suffering and there's a lot of people that are not oriented towards the light you know they're 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 in dark corners of their minds imagining the worst and uh and that impacts me i think that we don't often talk about the impact that the collective is having on our individual experience and you know it impacts me when i go to the grocery store and i can't see anybody's face you know it yeah. just it just does you know, I don't know who's behind there. I, I miss the intimacy of my neighbors and my friends and the clerks. And I'm not quite sure if that's Diane or not. You know, it's just like it's it's made a huge impact. And we've all done brilliantly at coping. But there has been a massive cost to this, I think. And I don't know if we'll really know the extent of it for a few years. I think it's I think they're going to be talking and writing books about this for a very, very long time. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, our our bodies are wired with this limbic system, right? And this limbic system is like what se- separates us from the lower life forms, you know. And it's like the part of us that communes with other beings and understands emotional systems and relates to other beings uh, teaches us how to feel, you know, based on how other beings are feeling and to mirror each other and reflect each other and. Yeah that whole limbic system has been just severed, right? We're just like, yeah. okay, well, the only people you get to relate to are the people in your household. And we're not made for leave, like just relating to three people in our life. You know, that's no. just not satisfying. Yeah. And as, as grown men in a household where you're the only grown man, mm-hmm. you just don't have community within your manhood, within your mm-hmm. masculinity, within your, yep. you know, whatever it is. And, I'm not talking about the Tim Allen grunt stuff. Like that's annoying. That's like the toxic, you know, caricature of masculinity that we don't really need. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need to be grunting whether I'm alone or with other men, (laughs) you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a grunter. Like that's, I don't see that as like the pinnacle of health, but I do think that just men need other men. And, you know, in this day and age, like, what does that mean? It's, it's such a dangerous thing to say because gender is such a sensitive topic. And Mm -hmm. I have total compassion for, for people who are in the, the edge of understanding how their gender works and, and don't feel aligned with one or the other, or feel Mm -hmm. that gender has been used to traumatize them. I know it has, I believe that deeply. Mm -hmm. And 
And at the same time, there is this truth that lives in me that I know for sure I'm a man. And I know that when I'm around other people who know for sure that they're men, uh, that there's something, there's an affinity there and there's a comfort and a support and a safety there that, um, is real, you know, it's real. And I I don't want to deny that in the, in the service of supporting and creating space for people who don't feel that it's like, Hey, I think we can all, we can all have what we need. Yeah. Beautiful. Very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, love it. Um, you know, we've talked about the evolution of consciousness on this show quite a bit. It's been the centerpiece of a number of episodes I've had on authors that are that's their that's their jam um, and get their take on things. Um, I wanted to ask you: Are you optimistic right now with everything we've talked about? Is humanity awakening? Is there is there an awakening happening? Is consciousness expanding? Are we are we are we creating a new narrative right now? Uh, what, what is happening from your viewpoint? Do you feel good about where the direction things are going? Um, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts and insights on, on this question? Hmm. Yeah, it's, I have a bit, a lot. it's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. I have a lot of confusion within myself. I, mm-hmm. I think about it in lots of different ways and sometimes mm-hmm. I feel hope. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I feel despair. Um, one of the one of the practices in my church, you know, to make it personal about me uh, and and how I interpret things, um, one of the practices in my church is uh, something called mediumship, mm-hmm. and mediumship is big in the um, in South and Central American spiritual traditions, uh, and you can think of it like voodoo has some mediumship when people get kind of possessed and overtaken by beings yeah. and spirits, that's mediumship. And it all traces its way back from the African diaspora to, to mm-hmm. Western Nigeria, where all the slaves came from, uh, and the spiritual traditions of that land where mediumship is just a really healthy way to express and feel whatever needs to come through you for you to be clean. Mm-hmm. And in the Western culture, we have our own, our own ways of doing that. Um, and when it, it, there's no better or worse, it's just that in, in this tradition, in this church that I'm part of, we use mediumship as a paradigm for how we're going to process our traumas and how we're going to um, allow our, our energies and our emotions to flow through us and not get too attached to them. And, um, and so when you're in mediumship, you can have feelings that feel destructive, rageful, mm-hmm. um, despair, sorrow, grief, uh, joy. You can have like extreme versions of all of the emotional states that we all carry. Mm-hmm. And you can also relive your traumas and you can have energies come through you to try to cope with those traumas that are kind of extreme versions of yourself. Okay. Um almost to the point where it's unrecognizable as part of yourself and feels like something else is coming through you. Mm-hmm. And all of that manifestation that occurs in that process is all contained within the work that we do and is considered safe and good. Mm-hmm. And so someone can look like they're going crazy. Someone can be howling at the moon. Someone could be like, you know, as long as they're not harming themselves or someone else, we basically let people do whatever they, they, they need to do to like, let that energy move through. Okay. Yeah. And so all of that is a very personal psychological process. And sometimes, uh, I think that that process happens on a a larger scale and that it's, it's basically the exact same process. And so I think of things like, um, like the Trump presidency and all of the, like 
all the hatred and anger and separation that's being uh, promoted in the world right now, all of that rage and that just like othering and separation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of that all as like this extreme energy that has to move through us to get out and escape and like be, be gone and leave. And it looks ugly. It looks insane. It yeah. looks scary. It feels unsafe. But your, but your take is, we still have to give people space to process all that because it's I a don't tri- think we have any choice. I think if we don't do that, then it goes underground just like it does in our own psycho, our own psychology with traumas that have occurred to us. If you don't allow it out, it goes yeah. underground. And then how does it manifest? It manifests in these ugly sideways, unrecognizable ways that like, yeah. what, where did that come from? Right. 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 Why are you acting like that? That's, that's so harmful, you know, yeah. and you don't even know why you're acting that way. And it's because you have trauma that's like driving you to act that way and you don't have a healthy way to express it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see that happening in the, in the collective as well. There, there looks to be a lot of processing going on right now, not only of shadow as you, as you touched on um, it, it's almost like there is a large portion of the tribe that is learning how to hold the light in stronger ways. It's like the container is being asked to be strengthened, both holding shadow and light at the same time. Um, so you have these amazing teachers and light workers that are pointing the way towards that. You have these, these kind of shadow warriors that are bring, stirring things up, bringing all kinds of things up. Some of it's chaotic. Like you said, some of it's just, you know, part of the tribe is throwing a tantrum over here and learning all about separation. Uh, there's there's ego and people right size. I mean, it is everything. Um, and I feel grateful to be here for it. As challenging as it is right now, I feel grateful to be witness. And, uh, you know, it's my hope that I can help in whatever small way I can, uh, whether it's conversations like these or, or facilitating a group. I, I, I know you're doing your part with the groups that you facilitate and the, and the church. Um, there's a lot going on and I love your take on it, on how, you know, we, we need to give each other space because this is a, tr- this has been highly traumatic and we're in this kind of uh, precipice or this, this crossing. I don't know what it is. It feels very like we're in an important transition uh, and we've, we're dealing with a lot of our gifts, but we're dealing with a lot of our baggage at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it's, it seems to be that kind of time in history for us. Um, yeah, for sure. And I mean, to keep the metaphor going just a little while, just yeah. a little farther in, in our church, when we have mediumship occurring, the people who are not having mediumship are holding the space. And they're holding it with firmness and with love. They're witnessing and they're validating that experience for the people who are having that experience. And when the experience is over and and you're done with your mediumship and you go back to your seat and you sit down and you you pick up your book and you start singing again, somebody else is going to have mediumship and it's going to be your turn. Yeah. And sometimes you go through work and you don't have any mediumship and you just are holding space for other people. You're still getting your own healing in Mm -hmm. lots of ways. Even if you're not having dramatic traumatic expression happening, you're, you're, you're getting strengthened and healed from holding space for other people to do that. And so it's exactly what you just said. As we're witnessing all of this happening in the world, everything in, you know, Afghanistan and Texas and mm-hmm. whatever, whatever your orientation is, you probably can look around and see some things happening that you don't like or that feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an incredible 
gift to be had in holding firm to your compassion and to your faith in the process, however that faith is aligned or named or labeled or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just holding yourself accountable for, for keeping your faith, yeah. right? And doing whatever work you have to to stay optimistic that things are moving in the right direction. There's incredible gifts to be had in that. Beautiful. Well, Ben, thanks so much for coming on Basecamp for Men. Is there any last uh, recommendations or thoughts that you would like to uh, share with our listeners about maybe something that could help them in the next chapters of their hero's journey, anything like that? Well, you know, like I just said, I I think that taking the time to recognize your role Mm -hmm. in the world and not to just passively say, hey, like I'm reading the news and it's all horrible and I'm just going to try to stay positive for my own sanity, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, that's a good start, but can you take it one step further and say, okay, like, what am I holding? And just to recognize that and to give yourself props for it, also to give yourself space to um, recover from all the work that mm-hmm. it is to live in this life, in this world right now, uh, to be soft and compassionate with yourself, um, and also to just um, contemplate uh, ways in which you can grow and heal more, mm. right? Trying new things. If you feel unhappy, if you feel scared, if you feel dissatisfied, um, the chances are that you are also feeling like there's nothing else you can do. Mm. And the truth is like healing yourself and, and growing and, um, creating space for yourself to transform is something you can do. And it might require you to go outside your comfort zone. And that doesn't mean you have to go drink a plant medicine, right? Like if you don't feel called to that, don't do it. You know, mm-hmm. Please don't. Uh, but, you know, maybe there is something that is interesting to you, but you feel like you can't do it for some reason that maybe you could actually do it. You know, uh, look into something like Wim Hof, right? Where you can uh, learn how to breathe and, and have cold exposure. You don't need any special equipment. You don't have to take anything, yeah. um, you know, Go take a meditation class. All those things that maybe sound like, oh, it might be kind of a waste of time, but there's some tickle in your brain that says, you know, that might actually help. Go do it. What do you got to lose? You know, we we all need help. Yeah, that's great counsel, Ben. Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your insight and wisdom. It's always great to talk to you. I feel like we could sit on this thing for two hours and just keep rapping about stuff. So thanks so much for coming on and sharing. Really appreciate it, my friend. Tony, it's so great to talk with you, and uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. You bet. I hope you all enjoyed our time with my good friend, Ben. I love how authentic and heart-centered he is. I always have. It was fascinating to me how his work in a church with plant medicine looks an awful lot like a laboratory to show us what we're all going through right now. We're processing fear and uncertainty. We're healing trauma, letting go of ego and our habitual ways of doing and seeing things. It also stood out to me when Ben said that in his work, the medicine is the body of Christ or the consciousness of Christ. I could feel the power and truth in this declaration. Not everything is the way we once thought it was. It seems right now everyone is having to navigate this. The truth is also seeking the seeker. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. 
Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men.